Alexis. Jocelyn's baby. <laughs> Are you trying to be Moira? Yeah, I tried really hard. <laughs> Alexis. Don't you wish you had crack? Cocaine? So much crack. Christmas crack. Would you crack. do an inter- intervention if I were like a... Actual crackhead or Christmas crackhead? Either way. If it was... I mean, real crack? Yes, 100%. <laughs> oh, good. Well, it's good to know. Christmas crack only if you literally couldn't function in life because you were making and consuming Christmas crack just every day. And what like, if I became obese because of it? That's enough of a reason. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it, though. If you're consuming that much, it takes time to make that stuff, right? <laughs> so <That's> true. <laughs> if Romy was, like, being neglected... And, mm. you know, all this stuff was happening because you were so fixated on getting your Christmas crack down your gullet, then, oh. yeah, I'd probably step in. All right. You seem like a good friend. Oh, I seem like I'll one? keep you. <laughs> From the outside, it appears. It's only been 10 years. Um, are you going to share your your golden spoon tanning story? Oh, my God. All right, I will. I'm going to preface it with, so I grew up in Southern California. When so girls, not this kind of girl. I'm really just not this kind of, can you hear my voice? Okay. No, but really, oh, you're paused. Yep. <laughs> it's really upsetting. <laughs> you were paused. <laughs> um, but truly, when you grow up in Southern California, and well, I guess this isn't true because a lot of girls tanned. I just felt like the sun is everywhere. What's people's deal? Like, we can just be out in the sun. You don't really need to go tanning. I was very confused. And then prom would come around and girls would go all tanning Mm -hmm. or to spray tan or whatever. I mean, I was an awkward, didn't really date boys very much kind of a girl in high school. So I don't think I was worried about, like, having a flawless tan. I don't know. (laughs) I just was like, this is my skin color. I don't, I go outside sometimes and I have weird tan lines. I don't know. So, and I never really, I got my nails done like one time for prom and it was a really bad idea. (laughs) I had to take them off. Peeled off my acrylics. Yeah, it was so bad. And I was like, why would anyone do this? This is hard to do stuff. Anything. Yeah, but there was, so I worked at Golden Spoon. You become an impulsive tapper. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, I love the sound of my nails on things. Um, also kids didn't know about skin cancer back in the day i think not yeah or they just didn't care that's the thing i always put on uh sunscreen Mm -hmm. and so then i was confused like do you put sunscreen on (laughs) go in the (laughs) what are you even paying for i don't get it (laughs) i'm not gonna get any of these rays (sighs) okay so and i worked at golden spoon which was right next to a tanning salon so i was terrified of tanning and then when i moved to la i was like riding my bike all the time in the sun on the beach like there was just i was dark all the time Mm -hmm. and then i moved to colorado and i definitely noticed like during the winter i get as light as i've ever seen myself like my legs and stuff so i was like oh well like i'm married who cares (laughs) he knows what color my skin is like (laughs) um but i'm going to a wedding in jamaica my brother as we know with rachel as you now know her so all the young girls are talking about how they're like oh you're gonna go tanning yeah 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 like i need to get a base layer before because i don't want to burn like they Mm -hmm. had good sounding reasons and then rachel like turns to me and she's like are you gonna go 
And I was like, no, I don't do that. Like I was so, <laughs> no, I don't do that mm-hmm. shit. Like I don't give, I don't care. I don't care about tanning. My skin is what it is. And she was like, okay, I just don't want you to get burned. And I was like, all right. And then somehow came up <laughs> right. again with my mom. And then my mom was like, I don't know, Nicole, like you are pretty white. And I felt and my mom can't get to me because she just <laughs> is my mom. And I was like, well, it's fine. Like whatever. Then I found my dress for the wedding. And oh I'm going to be God, in I just pictures. had a flashback to when we used Honest Company sunscreen. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I am so sorry, Jessica Alba. That shit does not work. Dude, I came back from the beach and then we literally both took off all of our clothes and stood in the mirror next to each other and we're like, holy shit. (laughs) And then we're laying like all full of aloe in her bed together, like just waiting for Postmates like, oh my God, it hurts so bad just to lay here. All of this to say, I'm not a tanning person, but then they made me feel A, old, B, like I was going to get sunburned and C, like I was going to ruin everyone's pictures with my whiteness. And like Lindsay was saying, they would have to expose for me and then expose for them and then Photoshop us together, which I told that joke to other people and they just stared at me blankly. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, people don't understand how pictures work. (laughs) So long story short, I went to this standing place that's called At the Beach and has some stupid caricatures of like buff men and i went in there and they tried to sell me a million things that i didn't i mm-hmm. didn't even know tanning was so complicated there's like a thousand different beds this guy that i think owned the place was extremely tan and was like t- trying to like the girl was nice and normal and he was like trying to push it on me and like kept talking to me and i'm too nice at one point he goes so yeah so like just me the other day i did a spray tan and then i did a turbo four or whatever some shit like and blah 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 and then like took a big long pause and looked at me and I was like, is he waiting for me to be like, oh my God, look how dark and wrinkly you are. Like I just, what did he expect <laughs> me to say in that pause? I was just like, so then I just nodded with like a half smile. Like, I really like how your skin matches the couch. Yeah, like <laughs> what did he expect? And so I just was like, oh, okay, cool. Then the, so I went and t- truth be told, it felt really nice. But mm. the second time I went, I took off all, <laughs> all my clothes and then I forgot my eye things to protect my eyes. So I had to oh, pull no. all my clothes back on over my lotion <laughs> body and then like run outside with no bra on and get my thing. Then the tanning thing was on when I got back in. I was like, oh, my <laughs> eyes. And then I put my things back on and I run out there and I'm like, it's on. And then it wouldn't work. It's so I've been twice and it's been a disaster each time. I don't like going to make me feel awkward. I smell good afterwards because the lotion smells good. Mm-hmm. But besides that, yeah. I, and then I burned my butt because my butt's never seen the sun. <laughs> anyway. So did you see Sarah? I mean, I posted this on the Instagram, but did you see Sarah sent me Big Purple? Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about Clifford still if you're lost. I started laughing so hard. Like right as soon as I posted that thing about hating purple, she was like, oh, they just unveiled yeah. Big Purple. I was like, oh, oh no. Purple alone. It's different. Looks fine. Yeah, I agree. It's that stupid purple mixed in with all the other good colors. Mm-hmm. Purple and black. I'm fine with Big Purple, but mm-hmm. I can't believe they're also, still like opening deeper... paintings. I know. It was another one of those that was still wet. Yeah, I read the, the Clifford Still Museum's post. Sarah's our best friend. She's Clifford's granddaughter. Come on. She said purple was his favorite color. That's why he tried putting it in everything, even when it didn't work. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Ay, ay. Can we make a t-shirt that says, let's talk shit on purple? <laughs> so I want to encourage you all to become Patreons. Go to our Patreon and, you know, you can just give like a dollar a month or a one-time amount or whatever. But if you become a Patreon once per month for a very small amount of money, you can get extra. It starts at a dollar. Yeah. Like you lose that in change. Truly. Easily. It's not that much money. Scatter it. Scatter it. Gather it. <laughs> scatter scatter it gather. In our Patreon. <laughs> Throw it at us like we're strippers. Seriously. Become our Patreon because. So this is what Brad was saying. He was like. And I, I'm sure. Well, he said he was an artist or he likes to make art, but he doesn't do it full time in some ways because he's like, you know, we are- he's like, can you stop talking about know, me dude. on your podcast? Okay. <laughs> I've heard <laughs> from people, <laughs> from a man. A person I know. No. Okay. This podcast is definitely. Okay. So because this podcast is about getting people is about giving the podcast that it would be really cool if maybe i should just say i don't know if i should say oh that God, he has so the idea difficult. or not you made me nervous about it brad wants patreons to make art and we'll post about yes, it that's basically what i've been trying to say but you made me nervous i was wa- <laughs> like skirting the issues uh yeah so that would be really cool we would love to support all of you guys if you become a patreon and we'll put that in one of the tiers and it'd be really cool. We'll post it in stories and tag you if you give us the information. And then as we become more posty, as we post more episodes, hopefully <laughs> we're trying to make a goal. I'm scared to say the goal out loud, but I should. <laughs> we're trying to make a goal. This is our 12th, which means we've done one a month. Roughly, obviously we haven't, but mm-hmm. we've done 12 this year. So our goal is to do 24 next year, 24 episodes. Okay. Welcome to Middlebrow. Welcome. This is my best friend, Lindsay Schultz. And this is my bestie, Olive Moya. And we are the hosts of this little thing we call Middlebrow, a contemporary art podcast hosted by two completely average human artists. That's us. We talk about art. We try to be interesting. It's for artists and people who want to know about art but are really intimidated. Trust me, we're right there with you. I didn't even read that. I just focused. (laughs) for a second and it came out yeah i couldn't find it wow (laughs) i can't wait to learn about claire i know nothing about her she seems very prestigious just based on her not wanting to talk to anybody and being french (laughs) no the french they hate us i'm doing claire tabaret she hates us already i I know i think that's how you pronounce her last name i tried watching a million youtube videos to get it exact but they're all in French. Same with all the articles. So thank you, Google Translate. And just www.frenchtoenglish.com. <laughs> you um, did so much work for this. I would never. And so I think it's Tabaret. But if it's not, I apologize. Because I'm going to be saying it a lot in this episode. What if episode. you just thought it was tambourine the whole time? <clears throat> Can you imagine? <laughs> she would be so In one angry. of the Google Translates, it called her Claire Stool. If her last... <laughs> so i did reach out to her to see if she would want to just answer a few questions because i have a lot on her professionally but not a lot on her personally or like fun things mm-hmm. 
That's just like goofy stuff to add to her personality. Maybe she's not fun. Maybe not be. Like maybe she's she just like any, you, laughing doesn't have to be translated. Uh no, she was pretty intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do it. She's really serious about her painting. I hope she's not weird. Every time I post images before we post an episode, I think people are like, "What the fuck is this?" Why no. is there pictures like, of me? I told you no. I told you not. And I feel weird because I try my, I mean, I always make sure that the images. Actually, I just want to clarify. She didn't tell me no. Her studio assistant just said they were really slammed, which I totally get. She mm-hmm. is busy and uh, she didn't have time to talk to a low level podcasting yeah. duo like ourselves. <laughs> oh, man. I just get worried that people are going to think that when I post their work that I try to do it. I never alter the photos, but I try to like yeah. make it as good as possible. No, I think people are excited to see Wendy you know, was people talking about their work. Wendy was super excited. Okay. Okay. Have at it. So Claire Tabaret, she's French born, Los Angeles based figurative painter. And I heard about her while living in LA because I think Someone I went to CalArts with was either a good friend of hers or maybe they dated shortly. But that's how I first heard about her. Why didn't you contact them? Well, I'm not friends with him. I just know he was in one of my classes. In the beginning, in the beginning of time, Claire Tabaret was born in 1981. One time started. (laughs) In the land of time. Pertuis, France, Patois. I can't help you. I googled it at least. It's southern it's kind of near italy and kind of by like con like the con film festival um so at four years old she encountered monet's water lilies everyone knows that right beautiful painting everyone loves they're at denver right now at the denver art museum i cried when i saw them did you really i did wow they're beautiful and i no joke like two of the two of the paintings i teared up at they're beautiful. Okay. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> go see it at the Denver Art Museum. It's worth the extra money. You have to pay extra to get in, but go see it. Okay. So at four years old, she came across the water lilies and overwhelmed by the work, this early experience kindled her need to paint. And she said, I always wanted to be a painter. That's the only thing I never doubted. And she became like obsessed with Monet. Can you like, does any kid that you've ever met at four years old, being like, yeah, Monet's my favorite painter. He moved no. me. No, I liked Salvador Dali based on his mustache. <laughs> and not at four. At like in fourth grade. Fifth grade. Yeah. That's crazy. One, I can't even remember being four. But you also... can't remember being four? I don't know. Maybe. I can't even I'm remember sure like you your last year. Oh. You have early onset Alzheimer's? I think I do. Like not even joking. <laughs> Please don't. I don't want you to ever forget me. Anyway, so she's really cool. She spent her childhood in Montpellier, where she decorated her bedroom with images of Impressionist paintings. Jesus. Examining them intensely for the visual vocabulary, as every child does. Yeah. She, I think this is a quote, she said, sometimes I would find that a composition I've made came from one of these in a very intuitive way. I always knew from a very young age that I would be a painter. I always defined myself in my strong interior as a child painter. It is a real vocation. As a youngster, 
I worked in my parents' garage. I made pictures on all of the supports I found, even sometimes on bed sheets. Just like Mark Bradford. Yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> how um, wait, how old is she when she's making pictures on bed sheets? Paintings on bed sheets. It's like a kid. <sighs> okay, fine. <laughs> I accept it. Well, you know what? Mark Bradford didn't start doing that till he was 30, so somewhere in between is just fine. Somewhere in between is just fine. Everyone has their own journey. Not everyone's a genius. As I keep telling myself. <laughs> over and over. <sighs> so, I mean, we'll get into it, but she's now based in Los Angeles, but exhibits internationally and has works in multiple museum collections. And has no time for us. <laughs> <laughs> but we have time for her. Yes, we do. All the, the time in the relationship. <laughs> she is a figurative painter who uses really amazing, like, thick, broad expressive brush strokes and so like the very end which you'll get to at the very bottom are my current favorites but okay it will we'll take you on a journey i haven't seen any of it so I'm really mm-hmm. okay i so, like to be surprised on episodes yeah i get really excited you'll tell me like a thousand times who you're doing and i'm like don't look don't at it nicole don't look at it wait yeah wait till you get there okay i'm excited so at 19 she moved to paris for school because when you're in Europe and France in general you can just Mm -hmm. go wherever go to Paris and in 2005 as part of her school program as like an exchange student she studied at Cooper Union in New York which if you remember we talked about in Eva Hess's episode Mm -hmm. so again being super cool what I didn't remember that but yeah oh I could have pulled it off but I didn't yeah we talked about the Cooper Union school I think that's the one where you can go as full-time or part-time and, okay. you know, whatever. It had crazy alumni. I see. Okay. That reminds me. I didn't yeah. know. And in 2006, she earned her BFA from, I don't know how to pronounce this, E. coli. E. coli. National Superior des Beaux-Arts mm-hmm. in Paris. I'm so sorry to that school. <laughs> They should apologize for their long ass name. And it has superior in it. That's mean. The most superior national school of the arts. Here's a quote. It's long, but apparently worth putting in. So when I arrived at the Beaux-Arts de Paris, there was a real mismatch that took place. The biggest shock was to realize that I was not alone in painting. For me, painting was very much linked to loneliness. Suddenly, we had to confront other individuals who had other practices and other artistic cultures. I also had some difficulty working in a workshop where the students are on top of each other and where the images invade the whole space. This spill of images almost engulfed me and faced with this world saturated with images, I wondered in my work on responsibility to add an image to the images. Throughout my studies, finally, I rejected figurative painting and I turned to more minimalism and more abstract painting. During this period, I concentrated on the trace, the scar, and especially I started to sand by hand all the fabrics that I had painted during my course. This long work, very physical and ultimately meditative, was almost performance. The desire to return to blank pages, but which were not entirely blank, since strewn with scars and traces, allowed me to establish a base on which I would be able to build my story of quote-unquote adult painter. So I left the Beaux Arts in 2006 with a series of completely erased canvases from which I could start to make figurative painting again. It is a bit as if this stage of my training 
had been a necessary step, a necessary process, in order to properly measure the importance of adding an image to art in art. So she feels like she shouldn't make art because there's too much out there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting conversation of like, what's the artist's responsibility and making sure what you're making feels like you're actually adding something to the world, right? I suppose. I feel much more of a personal connection with it. Like, it's not as much for other people as it is for myself. So, like, it's kind of, I mean, I think you should be responsible about what you put out, but not just because other people are putting other things out there. But she didn't stop making art. She just stopped making. Oh, oh, I was confused. I thought she was sanding all her stuff down. Yeah, I mean, she was. I think she was still like presenting it. She had a series of what she called erased paintings, but I still think she would consider that a work of art, like a series. Oh, okay. I was confused. I thought she just like got there and was just like, "Oh, everybody's making art." Well, now I don't know if I should make it because I don't want to add to all. I think she'd be kicked out of the program if she wasn't making art. I guess that's okay. (laughs) Anyways, apparently it was a good idea because after graduating she won a series of prestigious <laughs> awards oh must be nice <laughs> including the pre yishu eight residency um in china so she moved there in 2012 and while she was there uh claire began documenting her face daily with ink on rice paper so she said during my stay I read a work on the androgynous figure in art in which a quote from the Japanese novelist Yoko Tawada particularly caught my attention. He said, It is said that the human body is composed of 80% water, so it is hardly surprising that another face appears every morning in the mirror. Hmm. (laughs) At the same time, I became interested in the technique of Indian ink on rice paper, This very liquid medium went well with this idea of a moving, watery face described by Yoko Tawada. So I started to make self-portraits in Indian ink, a way for me to also keep a record, a memory of each of the days spent in Beijing. When I came back to France, I kept this practice and the self-portrait became a ritual. This face-to-face in the mirror is a way to focus and start a working day. Mm, I like them. Yeah. I like that idea, yeah. The thing itself is kind of scary. Yeah, they're really dark and yeah. Although I like the one on the right bottom, I guess because it doesn't look like anything. Just looks kind of like black watercolor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, in September 2013, this fancy businessman, Francois Pen Penault Pen Penault. <laughs> We're gonna have to stop caring at some point. <laughs> yeah, he's a French billionaire slash slash luxury group founder. So he owns. It was crazy, like Dolce & Gabbana, Whoa. Chanel, Hermes, all, you know, all of that. Jesus. I don't know if those are the specific ones, but I looked up his group, and it was everything fancy he owned. <laughs> or like were under his luxury group. Right. You know, he didn't own them, but however that works. And a contemporary art collector. So this guy and his curator, Caroline Bourgeois. Imagine you have your own curator. <laughs> yeah, hey. My when you become will be coming a, with me. a Colorado billionaire. That'd be so cool. <laughs> um, so they were present at the opening of Claire's exhibit titled Prosopone, which means person, at the Isabel 
Gounod. <laughs> okay. Gounod Gallery. I don't know. And Francois acquired a painting. Some sources say one, some say several, so I don't know. But he acquired work there for an exhibition called The Illusion of Lights at the Pala Grassi, Grassi in Venice. Whatever. A place. I'm yeah. so sick of this. I'm I know. never doing something in Europe. It so <laughs> takes you out of it too when you're listening. It's like, yeah. okay, anyway. <laughs> yep. But you want to get it right? It's so hard. I know. I'm sorry. I'm going to finish up all the personal stuff and then I'm going to dive into each series. Okay. So you'll get to see the work. So jumping kind of ahead. So in 2015, she leaves Paris, jumps on a plane and goes to LA for the first time. She says, in LA, I feel the voice that you can hear is the voice of the artists and the thinkers. The way I move in my mind here is different. You feel like there is still empty space between buildings and between streets. And even driving around, my mind is more able to come up with new ideas. I don't feel saturation. Oh, interesting. Because growing up in LA, you feel the opposite or whatever. But you think of Europe as way more... LA is very low to the ground and spread out mm -hmm. versus cities that are built up on each other. So, yeah. I mean, I or get like it. old cities, like mm -hmm. buildings are tiny and they're super close together and there's just stuff on top of stuff. Yeah. So here's Claire just painting in her studio, Aww. always wearing her little white jumpsuit. And her jean hat. Aww. And her fucked up brush. <laughs> her no. brush looks like Catherine Bradford's brushes. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I tried to find this really cool photo that she put on Instagram of a table just covered, like organized in brushes. And it was so pretty and made me think like, I need to have more brushes, even <laughs> though I don't paint. <laughs> I need a thousand brushes for this photo. I love her just sitting in her office chair with her feet up on a tire. Like <laughs> when I look at her work, it makes me want to paint. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's a really exciting thing to be able to translate to people yeah for sure i feel the same so i'm going to start with this interview she did for flaunt it's super short okay the interviewer said if you had never become an artist what do you think you'd be doing now she said there's no other option i always wanted to be a painter that's the only thing i never doubted she's so cool well and <laughs> if someone asked me a question like that i would just give them the answer like right i would pick something different i would never think to be like Nope. Nope. I'll always do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know a teacher. <laughs> um, a chef actually is my answer. What's your answer? Let's chef? answer these questions with her. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I'm kind of doing multiple things at once. I'd I probably know, be too. in the equestrian world more. That's true. Both you don't make money. I would definitely cook. I know. Right? Okay. <laughs> I guess if you're good and people want you, you can make money mm -hmm. in both of them. That's true. What spiritual beliefs, if any, do you subscribe to? And she said, energy, healing. Oh, God. She's meant to go to L.A. <laughs> I have crystals. Crystals in my bra. Did you watch um, Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner? I haven't. It's so funny. At one point, he, he happened to be talking about L.A. with um, what's the happy guy, Pharrell, his wife? Chrissy. Teigen. Chris yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and he was like, I'm moving to LA soon, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh, well, all the things I say about LA is, is real. Like I thought when I moved there that crystals were weird and now we charge our crystals in the moonlight just like everybody else. No. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it's so LA. <laughs> oh my God. 
about me and Fro. We just charge our crystals in the moonlight. Duh. Jesus. <laughs> I listened to the Ologies podcast on crystals. Uh-huh. Apparently people keep them in their bras. I have one crystal that is just for funsies <laughs> and I don't charge it in the moonlight. It's next to this picture of a pe- an anatomic, anatomically drawn penis. So maybe it gives me penis powers. Big dick energy. Yeah. There you go. Okay. I should put it in my bra. (laughs) (laughs) So she loves crystals. She's going to hate us. (laughs) Me. She's going to hate me. This is why I have not said anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you experience like. Did you just say this is why I didn't want to talk to you? Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Like she's saying that. I thought you were like, this is why I didn't want to do this podcast with you, Olive. (laughs) Because you mess everything up. I'm trying to be friends with artists. Do you experience a kind of meditative state when you are working? She said, no, I wouldn't talk about a meditative state. I am, in fact, very agitated when I'm working, always moving around from one work to another, always focused on my next move. I'm attracted to art making because it's a relief when I can transcribe a vision into painting. If I couldn't paint, I would be overwhelmed by my sensitivity. I thought she said it was meditative earlier. Well, maybe that was just the sanding down of her original works. Yeah. Interesting. My art is definitely not meditative. What she says makes me excited because it sounds like when my brain's on coffee. And it makes yeah. me really miss coffee. <laughs> <laughs> like thinking about stuff, being really excited, <laughs> like moving around. Is your work meditative? Oh, yeah, I think so. Must be nice. Mm. Okay. What does beauty mean to you? She said, beauty for me is when something reaches eternity a ray of light music a painting sometimes things can make time disappear it's a strong and beautiful experience i think that's what art should be about the end of time jesus christ she's so cryptic what does that even mean (laughs) she just talked in a circle (laughs) and made it sound so good like you can't whoever's interviewing her can't be like so what exactly do you mean by that because if you say that you sound stupid you sound stupid. And so she makes you be like, okay, the end of cool, time. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The end of time. Like, I like I that. I think I totally I can just get what you mean. A guy at Flaunt being so like, yeah, cool, cool. The end of time. Yeah, me too. Uh, so then. <laughs> <laughs> and she's all cool in her oh. denim hat and her shit. Like, just like leaning on her Sitting tire. in her office chair. It's about time. the end of time. Yeah, the end of time. Okay. That's beautiful, though. What does beauty mean to you? The end of time. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Anyways, um, that was a whole interview. So That was the whole interview? Yeah. She said three sentences. She said the end of time, <laughs> crystals, and mm-hmm. and that yeah, she and then she like negated his first question and said she drinks coffee. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I just summed her up. Her work is strongly influenced by the theme of memory and draws inspiration from images from the past. So she gets lots of her stuff from both historical imagery and then personal photos from like her childhood. The central element of her paintings and sculpture is a human being. Lots of portraits. As viewers, we do not recognize ourselves in her figures, but at the same time, they feel familiar Passionate about historic painting, Tabaret includes discreet and subtle quotations in her work in homage to famous works by past artists. So I thought this was interesting from like an art standpoint. She talked about how she prepared her paintings. Ooh, this is my favorite because I love to stand too close to paintings and look at them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I thought this was and then people gonna yell be at some me. fun, like gritty information for what people. What did she call you at the museum? <laughs> visitor, 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 visitor. <laughs> Do not lean over the line. I was like, Jesus wasn't even Christ. close to it. That was like inmate. Like that's how it sounded. Yeah, yeah. Put the line further back if you don't want us to get anywhere near the painting. <laughs> what it? What do you think would happen if you went to a museum like that and touched a painting? I did once <gasps> when I was little. And what happened? <laughs> I was young, er, old enough to know I should. Oh no! <laughs> I was. We were in Europe. And I was really admiring this hand. It was like a Renaissance painting. Oh my God. And the, and the hand was so beautiful. And it had like undertones of blue in it, you know, like things mm-hmm. that make it look real. And I poked it and I was like, look at this. <laughs> and my cousin Brian was there and slapped my hand. I was like, you're not supposed to touch Oh the my paintings. God. No one saw you? <laughs> I just picked, oh, oh no, but I knew I shouldn't have. But oh no. No, like I, I didn't know. I didn't even, I touched my own paintings. Oh, time. I thought you said you knew. You were like, I knew I wasn't I was, supposed I to. I should have known. Oh, you should have known. <laughs> no one told me i think me. of like monsters inc like they would just be like woo, 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 and like grab you and like put the painting in a thing and like wrap it up real quick and like run away and then like put you Spray, in like, chains sterilize and like sterilize spray. everybody everybody get out of the museum yeah. a painting has been touched no so if my finger acids are eating away at that hand it's just one little fingerprint spot where they're like why so I definitely did touch a painting. This is why I strapped um, my kid into a car I'm seat. sorry, Art. This is a shameful day for me to admit this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also, on the other hand, it's a it's a passion project of mine. To, Touching work to you shouldn't art, touch? Not paintings, mm-hmm. but art that should. Like when I went to Mike Kelly's retrospective at MoCA, mm-hmm. and they had work that was specifically made for you to sit on yeah. it and like look up and experience it. And they're like, no, getting close to the, the work of art. You know, he made it for you to experience. Did right? you like say you that? You are not. Yeah. Well, they say. They're like trying to preserve it. Preserve yeah. it. And so they won't let you do it. But I'm like, Mike Kelly would be pissed. I don't, I don't know Mike. I can't wait to do Mike Kelly. But I'm sure he would have been pissed that he's, his work is being... Used wrong or not viewed the way it should. Yeah, like you're not... It's not the work anymore. I can't see so, Mike Kelly being overly concerned about things being kept, you no. know. I'm just going to run around touching all the work until there's justice. <laughs> They're just doing it because whoever bought it will be really mad if it gets ruined. <laughs> Stupid. It's more what it's about. Okay. Okay. Nitty, so how gritty. does she prepare Yay. her paintings? Acrylic. She says, okay. I, I work in acrylic paint because again, it is a, she loves water. Themes of water, water materials. She loves water. Shout out to water. <laughs> Sponsor us, Pacific Ocean. So how does she prepare her paintings? She works in acrylic paint because, again, it is water-based technique and water is a very present subject in her work. Yep. For large canvases, uh, I often vary the thickness of the fabrics according to the subjects that I treat. And at the moment, I work on an extremely smooth canvas, which is polyester, and which is similar to a paper surface. When there are many characters, I make charcoal as a classic check. Like, you know, like the, so this is translated. I don't know if it makes sense. No. Nope. But she makes the char- charcoal <laughs> drawings underneath, you know, like drawing it out with okay. charcoal, vine yeah. charcoal and stuff. Right. I think it's probably vine. Sketch. Um, Probably. Okay. 
I particularly appreciate this phase relating to the preparatory drawing. It allows you to become familiar with the composition and make choices. Then I apply several undercoats. For paintings representing characters, the first layer is always an almost fluorescent green background, which I use to reveal the complexion. It just reminds me of Catherine. I see her work and a lot of yeah. things remind me of Catherine. Yeah. Okay. What interests me is the light which comes from the depth of the canvas and which is under the skin of the characters. The characters are thus in my paintings the light source of the painting. Then I operate an obscuration by superimposing layers and layers of paint. The process acts in my work as a test of the resistance of the image and light to the darkening. The trace of the different layers applied to the canvases are left visible on the edges. They bear witness to this creative process. I like that. Okay. Ready I to see some work. still have not seen a painting. <laughs> I have no idea. It sounds cool. I have no idea what it looks like. So now we're going to start looking at work. I feel bad for people so, who are driving who can't see this. It's so I know. <laughs> Pull over and open Instagram. Or just look at it first before you drive. Yeah. So backtrack to 2014 before the move to LA. This is the first piece I'm going to talk about. Le regard de dans de whores. <laughs> the dance of the whores. 2014. I don't know how you pronounce it, so I'm sorry. It is done at the Chapel of the Visitation. It's a contemporary art space. There's sculptures and then oh, I see, two like the bluish paintings? black painting. Yeah. So in addition to two huge paintings that look like group photos uh-huh. they're sort of like class photos right? yeah like people on bleachers standing in a line yeah. so that everyone's and face can be seen yeah one's really dark and like everyone's in black blue clothing and one's really light and white clothing wait where's the light and one? just oh i see it Ooh, i like the really? light one yeah with the fluorescent background cool mm-hmm. Uh, the exhibition brings together a choice of self-portraits that the artist realized for more than a year on a daily basis. I think those are her her ink okay. ones. Yeah, I see those on the left. And as well as new set of sculptures with childish faces. They're ceramic busts and they're all kids, but like in costumes. I don't ones like Ones like, there's like two clowns, there's a bunny costume, there's like an angel one, looks like a jockey, maybe a chef. I don't, right? I don't like them. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'm sorry, Claire. Not because they're not good. I just am scared of them. Or, I don't know. They're creepy. I like if you scroll down the cl- the clown one, it has actual fabric around its neck as a little floofy thing. That's what I'm looking at. It scares me. Okay. Do you like them? <laughs> They've grown on me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is the only... Uh, she's done one other sculpture that I've seen, but she's mostly a painter. Oh. I really um, like the paintings, though. So here's a quote from her said, the chapel of the visitation is narrow and very high, all in verticality. I decided to exploit these architectural features and work around the idea of elevation. I painted two large vertical paintings that would be like the walls. It is true that this is the first time in my paintings that there is no opening on a space. There is no background. There is something oppressive about it. These two fabrics therefore work together and will face each other. So they're on opposite walls. I wish there was an image of the white one. I know. I couldn't. I looked everywhere. It's cool because there's like stained glass and these big, huge columns, like concrete looking columns. And it's a very Mm -hmm. interesting exhibition space. I feel like it'd be really hard for the work to compete with the architecture and stained glass that's already existing. Yes, yes. 
She did it though. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm interested in the so white one. I wonder how that looks on those walls. You'll see. She work. She works in really interesting spaces. Like very rarely is she. It's kind of split, but like she doesn't show in a lot of traditional gallery spaces, That's which cool. I really like about I like her that, work. Yeah. It's fun to pull from spaces. That's one of my favorite things to do for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So someone asked her this question. Are you aware of the melancholy and sometimes the feeling of anxiety of fear, which emanates from some of your paintings? And she said, from fear, no, I don't feel it at all. But I understand the feeling of anxiety that emanates from some of my characters who can seem terrifying. However, for me, they are friends with whom I live on a daily basis and who are, in a way, self-portraits. This sounds like a Mm. little kid in a horror movie. They're my friends. (laughs) Yeah. These scary things, these ghosts, Come they're my play friends. With us. They live with me. Melancholy, yes, it is present as the relation to death. The fear of death is an obvious driver in my way of working. I realize that my work is part of a serious, serious universe, perhaps even a little sinister or even with a sometimes morbid dimension. But strangely, it is a universe in which I feel comfortable. <laughs> Since childhood, I've been a determined and serious person. As soon as I knew how to read, I read all the books I found on the Shoah. What's the Shoah? I don't know. Okay. Imagine her parents are just like the opposite of her. And they're like, why is she so damn serious about everything? Shouldn't she be playing outside or something? <laughs> She's reading books and painting and looking at Monet. The show is the Hebrew word for catastrophe. The term specifically means the killing of nearly 6 million Jews in oh. Europe by Nazi Germany. Very serious oh, child. Okay. My work also questions the theme of forgetting resistance to time, image, color, and light. We do not know if the characters I represent are dead, but imagine that they are on the shore of the dead, yet they give off a faint glow that comes from the depths of the canvas. They resist being forgotten, despite the different layers of color that have tried to erase them. Is that heavy for you? Yes. (laughs) I'm a mother now. I can't handle these things. But I like her brain. Like I hear, I listen to that and I like her brain. So it's a hard, it's a hard balance in my head. (laughs) I... Just think about how much my art consumes of my brain. And clearly she's a better person than I am. And she thinks way more about her art than I do. (laughs) So then I think sadness is consuming her brain or like darkness or like, but she doesn't seem like I'm literally basing this off two photos of her. She doesn't (laughs) seem like a sad person. In the photographs. I don't even mean sad. I just mean like, I guess she said she's serious. I don't know. It's interesting. I want to see her talk. Have you seen her talk? What does she look like? Mm -hmm. She's serious. Watch an interview. It's in French, but... But I just want to, like, watch her talk. It doesn't matter if I can understand. You know what else? I feel intimidated because I don't think I could be friends with someone like that. Like, they wouldn't laugh at my jokes. Sorry, I went on a super long tangent. That's okay. Also, in 2004, she had a show called Les Debutantes, or les debutantes, whatever. Is that like people who go to like dress up? And yeah, stuff? like the debutante balls. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the official group photographs of the debutante balls served as a model for each one of these works. Tabaret liberates herself considerably from these sources. Her paintings are not based on photography, but instead to compensate what she perceives as a lack and absence in photography. So in each painting, there's a group of female characters and they're kind of different ages from children to young women and they're all posed in these stylized ball gowns 
And this evening wear is generally a unified color, so they all kind of blend into each other. And it intermingles to the point where we don't know where one dress ends and the other begins. It's just like one big dress painting with heads. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> looking like at them. It's so true. It's just like tons yeah. of fabric everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And this entanglement embodies the social ties that unite these young women. Mm. We don't know if they will one day break free of these bonds. In short, they are prisoners or mistresses of their own destiny. Although these young women seem to resemble one another in their features and their attire, they are all singular, each attempting to resist and free herself from the group. Aww. Oh, this was interesting. So through these group portraits, the artists imagine the bonds that tie the girls in their original photos, making them visible through the hairstyles of, or the fabric of their dresses. Their clothing seems to be simply placed upon them, coming into conflict with their own individuality, betrayed by their expressions. Here, the dresses and drapery are inspired by the work of Gitan Gautain de Clarembault, a figure of neuropsychiatry and a teacher of Lacan, mm. who... And he was consumed by the passion for the motif of drapery so obsessional that it eventually cost him his career. Oh, no. So I looked into this guy. <laughs> yeah. So I colored it. <laughs> no, an obsession with drapery could cost anybody their career. <laughs> so I took a class on Freud and Lacan at ColorArts. But Lacan like, studied this guy, apparently. So I looked him up, and he is such an interesting character. So apart from his psychiatric studies, he was an acclaimed painter. He was also a professional photographer. And from 1914 to 18, four years, he took around 30,000 photographs. Oh and many were placed in a museum. For a period of time... This guy conducted classes on the art of draped costumes at the same school, the, oh, the Beaux Arts National Superior des Beaux Arts. The Superior Art School. The Superior Art School that Claire went to. So maybe that's how she Interesting. became familiar with Wait, him. Wait, so did you find out anything else about this obsessional drapery thing? No, I couldn't. I just want a picture of him draped in drapery like so that i can <laughs> okay so he, yeah here's the show there's from one from facing one way there's seven horizontal large canvases mm -hmm. of these group debutante paintings mm -hmm. one's blue one's white one's green red mixed colors kind of brown yellow and another white one it's so interesting how even the white ones are dark yeah like they're like blue, white, and there's no true white. Mm -hmm. It's just like a low contrasty, kind of like except for the if hair. If you had the the white balance off, and they're like kind of yellowy green. Yeah, and then one is like bluey, mm -hmm. cyan-y. Yeah, weird. Um, so this one I couldn't find exactly where it placed in. It was made in 2015. It's also titled Les Debutantes or Les Debutantes (parentheses dark blue). It wasn't in this show. She's but... leaning on the painting. She would be in a lot of trouble. Visitor. <laughs> Do they all Actual look like fabric. this with the, with the texture? No. The... Oh, okay. No. okay. So this is a new one. The other ones are just paint on it. Okay. This is a departure from that. Okay. But this is actual strips of fabric i like it a lot for where the dresses are so it's a painted background so these girls aren't so much engulfed by the fabric mm -hmm. it looks like more like a formal portrait 
and there's like a background. So there's eight girls, some standing, some kneeling, and actually strips of fabric creating the dresses. Mm-hmm. And they're all like blue and black. And they're not as pale. Those other girls seem mm-hmm. really pale, like almost yeah. dead. These ones seem more alive. Like they went to a tanning bed. <laughs> One time. <laughs> and then forgot to put their eyewear on and then (laughs) these are the first works coming up below that i saw of hers and became obsessed okay so these are your favorites or are they just the first no oh okay Okay. the first one i mean i love them but they're not my current favorites some are okay so it's the it's called makeup or like her makeup series Mm. and it's 2015 to ongoing possibly her most well-known series as it should be it depicts young women and girls with smeared faces of makeup. It references a child's first attempt at painting. If you look down, they kind of look like they're vampires. Uh-huh. Like they're the middle just like one looks blood. like a clown, like she's trying to be a clown. But then if you look down, she posted this. Claire posted oh this God. on her Instagram, <laughs> and so I think this is one of her like references for her work because she always pulls from you know past photographs. Right. So I think it's just because they're so serious and like dark. Then instead of being like, it's makeup, you're like, that's blood. (laughs) Well, they're also, I mean, some look younger, but a lot of them look more like teenagers and young women versus actually children. Mm -hmm. So they're these kind of up close traditional portraits, but then they have these like smears of blue on their eyes and smears of red around their mouths and i just am obsessed with how she paints like if you just look at the clothes like how she just does these like quick little gestures and there's so much information there Mm -hmm. it's gorgeous and like how she has orange in the face for like light and shadows and everything the blues that she ah it's just i my favorite is the middle bottom one so she said These paintings are painted in two steps, Tabaret told us. First, I paint a portrait of a child, nice and tidy. Then I cover it with makeup as one of a child's first primitive gesture related to painting. The makeup is about painting, but also about wearing a mask. Makeup, when it is not neatly applied, can be disturbing and evoke madness or brutality. And she still makes those. So next is Battlegrounds, 2016. And these are where you get into more full body portraits. So how are you liking them so far? It's funny to use your words. They're growing on me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they're adult characters that have this like warrior tone to them all. Ooh. Um, Okay. I like these the best so far. Kind of dominatrixy. Sometimes are more like Native American or cowboy so in the first room when you walk in there's a character with braided hair of unidentified gender with like his back their back turned to us and this painting is called back to the world and it is a real it's the introduction to the exhibition it represents the painter agnes martin who's my girl with the grids who said she painted back to the world I'm going to go through and describe some of these. So there's like a makeup portrait on the wall, but it's next to like a mounted rider, you know, on horseback, like covered in armor. Yeah, with And like the backgrounds really... are really minimal. They're just like a blue wash and then like a dark mixed paint wash. Yeah. 
Like, it, yeah, a wash, I guess, is the best way. It almost looks flat, like a really nice mm-hmm. just graphic background. But it has so much texture and, like... It's, like, built up really thinly. Yeah. And a lot of them... Well, I guess not on this one. But a lot of them, her undercoat, their, her fluorescent undercoat is the sides of the painting, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, even the figure and the horse, like, they're the same color. And it's this kind of, like, muddy tanness and then it's just the details of the bridle the armor the feet the hooves like that are yeah like the horse and the person are almost one thing and just her like you said her color choices like how the feet are purple Mm -hmm. not the kind of purple that we don't like the kind we do like and then another makeup one and then there's this woman who's massive like below there's all these mounted riders galloping at her feet and she's like this dominatrix woman posing with her hand on her hip and just staring right out at the viewer this is the first one i feel like i've seen that had like a, a background like clouds and like hills and then people happening and then if you look below which is even more of a background and it's just mm-hmm. kind of like cowboy characters sitting i love that one on a on the edge of a cliff overlooking like a river in Arizona or something. I would buy that one. I love that one. The third and last room has 23 monotypes, uh, a medium that Claire recently fell in love with, and they're suspended at eye level. The monotypes reuse details from the paintings in the exhibition through the repetitions of patterns, shapes, characters, colors, patterns, all of that. So it's this common language that... Uh, gets repeated through the monotypes. I really like those as well. Okay. I feel bad for people who can't see these because you really need to look at them as we talk. Yeah. Okay. So this one was in the spring of 2017 and she painted a chapel, the interior of a chapel on the estate of Pierre Yavanovich. Her in chapels. Yavanovich uh, is a French interior designer and so covering the interior walls with a crowd of children in costumes which might be some people's nightmare yeah this does look a little scary (laughs) (laughs) but But in a really cool way i hope he loved it i like doing things that i've never done before says claire of the project her first fresco an environment that completely embraces the spectator the fresco is like what they did in italy right where they painted a fresco is a thing uh, the painting took Claire a month to complete, and Jovanovich likes to think its legacy will be long-lasting. He said, I find it very beautiful to be able to mark this place with something that will be here forever. He says, I don't know what will become of this property, but this work will remain. Oh, a fresco. A painting done rapidly in watercolor on wet plaster on a wall or ceiling so that the colors penetrate the plaster and become fixed as it dries. Whoa. So it's not like a mural where you just paint on top. It's like in it. So when he's saying it will last, he means it. (laughs) Her first fresco. fresco. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it's this like tiny little chapel with three little bench seats in it and two window or four it's really windows. Dark, yeah. The front has a the background's lighter blue and where the door is where you enter it's much darker. But every wall is just crowded with children standing and staring at you. All it's in pretty costumes. scary. But 
there's like a bee costume and clowns and but none of them are smiling um, <laughs> they're all so serious they're just like serious. serious children is a weird concept because they're usually so the yeah. wall or like the blue and the whatever the background is so cool looking it's it beautiful. looks like the sky's cracking yes. open to like a a neon orange world outside it's of our really own. It's really pretty. It's like a puzzle. It's like puzzle pieces almost like weird. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty. And then different, all these different blues. Mm -hmm. like the next piece is called Eclipse, but also known as Gold Miners. And this is so cool that I learned about her. So this is what a an interview said about her. So several years ago, the Franklin Hills-based painter Claire Tabaret was on the way to her Frogtown studio. We all know where Frogtown is, yes? <laughs> no, are you being serious? No. <laughs> we all know kind of Frogtown. Frog where the frogs town, live, you mean? It's Elysian Park area. Like, So it's right by Dodger Stadium. Oh, that's called Frogtown? It's called Frogtown. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, I don't know where that is. Okay. But I know where Dodger so, Stadium is. So, yes. Yeah. So her Frogtown studio, when drawn by the San Gabriel Mountains, she just kept driving. I had a plan for my day today. Now I've decided to just fuck that plan. I'm driving. Passing through the desert destinations, like she went all the way to Joshua Tree, eventually Jesus. found herself in 29 Palms. I hate that place. Literally kept. It's like, <laughs> Oh, what? <laughs> it's like when we wanted to go make art outside and my dad called and he's like, what are you doing? We're like, we drove to the edge of the desert to make a painting. That's exactly what we did in the middle of the night, we though. That was stupid. far edge of the desert. Like, we just got on the 10 and kept going. We went to Barstow. Do you know how far Barstow it's is? so far. From Playa Vista? <laughs> it's so far. We were and there's no reason to go there. We could have gone just outside of LA. It would have been just as fun. <laughs> what did we even and do? We like, drove. We had two tiny cans of paint, too. I don't know what we were going to do with two little cans of paint. Were we on drugs? I think our parents probably thought we were. Like, I don't and remember that Brian experience with very us? well. And I know I was... I was extremely, I wasn't even drinking yet. Nope. Cousin Brian was with us and we drove, we were like, didn't know where to stop. So we kept driving on these side roads until we were in sand dunes at a junk pile. And then just like with the lights of the, the car, car. I'm so painted. glad the car didn't die. Oh my God. <laughs> we just threw together a bunch of crap, painted on it, took a picture. It was freezing cold and Brian stayed in the car because it was like. Because he was like he hates art and he just draws like super renaissance realistic. looking realistic <laughs> drawings like, so he was like what are art. you doing with this pile of junk on the side of the road why am i in this car with you everything we do <laughs> we have fun, like this though. podcast we enjoy our lives like this podcast yeah. like 10 years later i'm like remember when we tried to start that podcast <laughs> no i don't want this to be like that <laughs> remember when we offended claire tabaret tambourine <laughs> I feel like no. she's not going to like me because I'm being so. Because you have a sense of humor. Weird. Yeah. Okay. She's going to hate me. She's going to be like this idiot in a French accent. I can't say it in a French accent. <laughs> this idiot. Okay. 
So she went to 29 Palms. The next day, following a suggestion of a stranger, she met at a local bar. Dangerous. Stay sexy, don't get murdered. (laughs) She purchased an old gold miner's cabin on five acres of off-the-grid land located outside of Pioneer Town. Old gold miners don't know how to build cabins. (laughs) It's not a good idea. I wonder how much she paid for it. Three dollars. Like, as a young painter, just, like, buying a cabin on a whim? It doesn't matter where you are in California. Shit's expensive. Five acres of land, mm-hmm. I think, is still a lot. Yeah. So the cabin was mysterious, beautiful, <laughs> and dirty. <laughs> it was mysterious. She got way more ideas about children than costumes to paint. <laughs> You're such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> inspired by the old clothes <laughs> told you furniture and tools seemingly abandoned in the cabin it was abandoned she, <laughs> seemingly it was this is the mistake of the writer yeah, not I know, claire I know. I know because whenever she speaks it's perfect so i yeah. know that this is not her she dug into gold rush archives to uncover the history of the place and its people claire i'm not ever talking shit on you i know it sounds like I. you're clearly too smart for everyone. you're just too smart and and your work is, is like slightly gives me a scared feeling but it's gorgeous but it just slightly makes me scared so that's all okay so her i'm excited to see what came out of this very yeah. interested her solo exhibition in Marseille, maybe, at the Cultural Center of La Friche Belle de Mai, also shown at Night Gallery in LA, focused on men, specifically gold miners, whose artifacts, hats, picks, and all she found inside the small cabin she bought in Pioneer Town, which was a former Western movie set in the desert two hours outside of LA. For anyone who doesn't know where Joshua Tree or Pioneer Town is. Mm. When she's not almost completely off the grid in the cabin, Tabaret immerses herself in solitude at her warehouse studio in an industrial corner of the city. She says, I'm very happy here. I have a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> but most None days of I like spending Olive. <laughs> <laughs> but most days I like spending eight or nine hours inside not talking. That's not possible in Paris. You always run into someone. So here's these paintings. I like those one. I like that grid. It's beautiful. Yeah, there's a a grid of three by three, six, nine, ten. So thirty paintings of the sh- mounted men with hats on. And some of them have like these really intense, um, like shadows. Like they're lit <laughs> by like a big mm-hmm. spotlight or something behind yeah. them, which is really cool and dramatic looking so next to it's a huge painting of again a mounted rider you know on horseback but there's these palm trees behind them another makeup portrait and then people walking into desert areas and palm trees the people are walking Ooh, what's this one where it's like a bunch of people in the line women like looking and then there's yeah. like definitely those are like the palm springs mountains don't you think mm-hmm mm-hmm Here's the next exhibition. 
still in 2017. Wow. In Italy? Called no big deal. One Day I Broke a Mirror. She exhibited alongside what? Yoko Ono. All right. Just kidding. I love Claire. <laughs> <laughs> if Yoko likes her. Although Yoko seems like a very serious person as well. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, at Villa de Medici in Rome, Italy. For this exhibit, she paint- she made paintings of groups of women seated and looking forward, described as warriors, adventuresses, and conquerors. Here's something I'm just going to preface is a Google Translate, not like the auto-translate, but you type it in and it translates it. I don't know if I want to put it in because I don't know if it's real. Okay. <laughs> but I'm going to read it. So Tabaret gained critical acclaim through her paintings with acidulous hues, mysterious and timeless, her warrior women with a determined look, her crowds of children in disguise brandishing lances halfway between a painting of Paolo Uccello and the imagination of Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) And then it says slash Google Translate. Google Translate. Google Translate. I've never heard her talk about Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> I knew it was that that you were upset about. Lances, that makes sense. Paolo Cello, that makes sense. Assiduous Hughes, yeah. Star Wars. So we'll never know unless Claire oh. wants to talk to us. <laughs> we're just like, yep, guess we'll just put out fake information since you won't talk Claire to us. Claire loves Star Wars. <laughs> She just sends us a cease and desist letter instead of (laughs) answering our questions. (laughs) So she's, I think this is from what, oh, this is just from the article, between two artists from different generations, just as their creative process differs, but united by reflection sharpened by the role of the artist on the condition between being in the world and withdrawing from it, between being a warrior, adventurer, and conqueror, and the desire to stand aside to observe reality with discretion. I only put up work of Claire's, although I think this latter one's Yoko's and that chair one is Yoko's. But you see, again, several huge canvases of women seated and looking at you. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, those blues I are think... stunning. And then this huge one, which I love, it's another fabric portrait. Okay. That fluorescent pink coming through. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go down to the next one, which is still in 2017, The Dance of Icarus. These are huge. If you go down, look at how tiny she is, spraying water out of a fire hose, or spraying paint out of a fire hose. Whoa. It's called The Dance of Icarus. Claire says, I imagine this flying figure. Is he dancing? Is he falling? The paintings are about movement, dancing between stumbling and flying. There is no land. I really like this whole thing. It's comprised of 44 paintings and works on paper. The exhibition marks a departure from her stately posed portraits towards images of... I think uh, maybe that's what I like about it. Um, images of dynamism and spontaneity. This is what you like about them? The yeah, third. I think... I never realized it. I thought it was the colors that made me uncomfortable before. But mm-hmm. I think it's just how it's like... And I think maybe in a way it's supposed to make you uncomfortable so i get it but like they're all sitting posed and awkward and straight faces very confrontational yeah so 
I think that's why. Okay. Yeah, these are the first ones where the the people aren't really staring at you. Yeah. There's a bunch of little, what it looks like, little girls. Dancing. All dancing in like a ring around the posy. There's these large paintings of this guy, Icarus, dancing and looking down. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still portraits in it, but they're they're small and not so... Not like looking into your soul. <laughs> yeah. I think it was just like they looked uncomfortable and therefore it becomes uncomfortable to look at them. So these ones don't look uncomfortable. In the atrium of the museum, suspended above the visitor, these it's like her most monumental series to date. The Dance of Icarus, a new interpretation of the Greek myth about Icarus, across four massive panels a larger than life figure spins weightlessly dancing across the canvas washed in vibrant color rhythmically rising and falling the figure is captured in a dreamlike trance frozen in time but in a state of perpetual motion he animates the atrium as he ushers the viewer from one canvas to the next in a circle around the room in the two galleries claire Brings us her makeup portraits, circle dance series, and 30 monoprints that serve as studies for the dance of Icarus, where the loss of control runs through all these new paintings. The artist developed her practice by using the iridescent colors. Gold, copper, and neon have typically flickered through the background of her artworks, but here appear in the foreground, creating a new light, which refers to the light of thoughts and the light of dreams. These two, I like all of them. Are those like nurses dancing? There's like one with little girls dancing and then there's one with like what looks like nurses. <laughs> or maybe they're just women with bonnets. I kept thinking of those nurses' bonnets like back in World War II or whatever. Uh, I don't think they're nurses. I think girls back in the day just wore bonnets. Okay. And it was things. just like the way that with like how they're white, all white uniform. Yeah. <laughs> Look, or that was just like my first. I think they're more like school girls. That makes sense. I think. So finally, the next year, 2018. Finally, after 3,000 um, paintings later, it became another year. So the show is called I'm Crying Because You Are Not Crying. Oh, man, this just goes back to what I was saying about her. She's so smart that she sees the sadness of the world. Yep. We're not crying about it, and we should be, and she sees that, and it makes her upset. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> For a two-part exhibit in both Picasso's studio what? and Online Rec Gallery, who's a French art dealer and gallerist, she painted a series of wrestlers and couples dancing titled I'm Crying Because You Are Not Crying. The exhibit took over Online Rec's Paris Gallery as well as Picasso's former studio reacting viscerally to Picasso's weeping woman. Tabaret studied images of wrestling competitions that she uses references to physically represent the push and pull of power struggles, whether the struggle is between people, an individual, and their place in history, or someone and their future. Ooh, I like that. Struggle of someone and their future. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the room, mm. it's nothing but paintings of two men face-to-face, grab or mostly face-to-face. Some are not grabbing each other in some way that, as it explains, looks like they're either wrestling or holding each other. Interesting. These backgrounds are way different, too, than before. It is so much fun to see people's work change. I know. And just, like, They're getting brighter. They're getting more textured. Yeah, you, like, see what they keep, what looks like the old them, but what changes, and, like, 
just knowing about the mysterious cabin and like how that changes a person. It's so mm-hmm. interesting. It's basically like looking into someone's brain and how it's going to change along their life, but having a visual representation of it. It's so fun. And this one I just noticed. So there's one with the two figures facing head to head, but in the background is them upside down. flipped upside down yeah. and like a shadow of their silhouette in like bright orange. Yeah. I saw that too. Yeah, her painterliness is just really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then below you see two this plaster sculpture of two figures. Well, one's like basically on top of wrestling, like choke holding another one. Like <laughs> <laughs> She's not a fan of your sculpture. Claire. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, moving on. Les Veyers, Les Veyers, 2018, is um, a solo exhibition at Collection Lambert Avignon. It's a powerful selection of large-scale paintings, smaller portraits, and individual busts. A highlight of the show, the Red Carnival, depicts a cluster of children dressed in various costumes, including clowns, princesses, Snow White, and Peter Pan, standing together, staring directly out of the painting. The frozen group, with hunched postures and blank faces, appear trapped in a scene that they do not want to be a part of, stuck in a limbo between supposedly unburdened life of a child and the impending disappointment of adulthood. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) These two portraits, like, there's one where they're all super colorful in their costumes, but the background is, like, hell. Yeah. Right? It's dark and fiery and, like, really gloomy. Yeah. And then the other one is has, like, this sick green-yellow... Tint to the whole thing to it so it's all these little kids with spears it's just so scary <laughs> <laughs> like all these costume kids are gonna spear yep. you it's so scary <laughs> it's just scary to see it all every single it's just so unnatural that's what it is it feels mm-hmm. really unnatural and then it like gives me heebie-jeebies yeah. because of that and clearly she's talking about <laughs> being stuck in a limbo which of a supposedly unburdened life, which like a lot of kids don't have the good grace of the universe like we did to have an unburdened childhood. Most kids have trauma and sadness and like Mm -hmm. aren't safe or whatever. And then between that and (laughs) the even worse thing of impending disappointment of adulthood, because it does that so clearly, it, it like makes me feel icky but in a good way like i like that art can do that in a single image so in 2019 she did an exhibition called if only the sea could sleep and it's includes paintings monoprints and sculpture at hab h-a-b hab gallery in nantes in france named for a collection by the syrian poet adonis 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 uses maritime imagery as a metaphor for the changing tides of romantic attachments. Claire's new suite of works depict couples at different junctures in their relationships, all ensconced in a seaside landscape. So the majority are nude, with occasional flash of swimwear, 
And it's a departure from her previous work that paid special attention to garments and fabric mm -hmm. and costumes and all of that. So she said, I've worked a lot with clothes, with what you wear, how they attach to people. But I think here I'm trying not to give too much away. It's more of a mental space, a dream space. Clothes would give too much of an indication of time and place. I always felt that way. It was really hard to put clothes on people because then automatically you pinpoint where they are in time. Tebre is the first painter, uh, was the first painter invited to exhibit in this space. If Only the Sea Could Sleep is the latest in a series of summer shows at Hab Gallery held as part of Le Voyage à Nantes, an annual festival of public art. So she was the first one of this group. Cool. And it's a gargantuan concrete warehouse on an island in the Lorry, formerly used to store bananas. <laughs> Tebre's initial visit to the venue shaped the art she created for this show. So she said, the space was empty. My first impression was about how I could embrace this monumental space without going against it. I didn't want to break the space. I didn't want to make fake walls. And if you look at the photos down below, like it is a huge, cold, concrete yeah. room. It's funny, she kind of did make walls. <laughs> <laughs> but not the way she means i get that yeah so her solution was to turn to the site's nautical history creating paintings not on wall mounted canvases but on sails and they're like patched work together from about 10 sails to create the shapes that she wanted cool. and they're hung from the ceiling by ropes and they're just like hung down in the middle of the room and so she used oil gasoline and varnish Ooh. instead of paint on them okay. So they're all substances that are used on boats. And mm -hmm. so you can see a little bit of the bleeding. And yeah, it's like oily like absorption. in some places. Yeah. yeah. A, then in the background, there's a looping sound piece by Claire's friend, Aska Matsumiya and Alex Summers, which combine the sound of waves and creaking boats with cellos and harps. And she said, I feel like we, like we can imagine that there's an ocean, that there's this big ocean beyond the walls. She said, when I arrived in Nantes, it struck me how, like L.A., it turns its back to the world and faces the ocean. The idea of using sails came from her exploration of San Pedro, which is mm -hmm. in L.A., like south. Pedro. Um, the Californian metropolis's port district. These sail paintings, seven in all, each display differently on either side. So when you loop back around the gallery, they are you get to experience a Different, whole new yeah. set of paintings. They're very light. You could roll them up and put them in a suitcase. Each mm. retains evidence of their previous life stitched with numbers, badges, and in one case, a tiny transparent window, which I always like found and appropriated objects. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's a cool um, one. So on the surrounding walls, Claire has placed 15 monoprints, um, which she fell in love with several years ago, which we talked about. They've become a part of her process in the studio. She says, it's where I find ideas of characters and postures. Tabaret uses her wet prints to print further pieces, creating a spectral chain where each link carries the ghost of that which came before. Ooh. I really go into a flow, she continues. I think it's close to musical improvisation. Interspersed among the couples in Tabaret's dream realm, are two outliers, a print depicting a boat and another showing a house reflected in water. She said, I like the idea 
of having a tiny glimpse of landscape in the show, she explains, to set the stage for tragedy. This expectancy that something unpleasant could all too easily happen. She loves it when it's unpleasant. She loves the darkness. (laughs) Loves Loves for people to be uncomfortable. Are those your favorite? What's your favorite? So the ones coming below. Yeah. So the last section here are called portraits. They're... uh, (gasps) Oh at Almond Wreck in London. I see why these are your favorite. Tare addresses the other in their radical otherness and delivers her personal sense of each presence. Moving away from her monumental groups, uh, representing figures largely unknown and unfamiliar, this current work injects a dose of intimacy and familiarity. Um, so instead of these huge portraits, they're more like friend photos, like a group of intimate friends with their arms around each other hanging out or just one reclining on the stairs and then one there's a photo of her with like kind of dressed up with a fan and she used that for the inspiration for this portrait with the focus on this girl and in the background are her costumed she's a very serious children too (laughs) i think there's a single (laughs) photo of me looking that Um, serious yeah they're way less um like part of the uncomfortableness of the other ones is like some weirdo. I mean, this is just a narrative I'm making, but like in your brain, somehow it clicks as like some weirdo forced all these kids to stand together unnaturally and look and be in costumes. And obviously these kids look not happy or abused or something. And the colors are super dark. And these these don't have that dark, looming, gloomy they don't. vibe they to don't. them. And I love There's... the colors. But even if they were dark, mm-hmm. just the way that they're composed, right. it's different. so different. Yeah. Tabaret's portraits echo some of the core problems addressed by Maurice Merleau-Ponty, such as the task of displaying the native bond between myself and perceiving someone and the someone who I perceive. This precious, unique, and irreplaceable relationship between myself and the other. I love that concept. What remains is precisely this trace of a presence that ties Tabaret's pursuit to the mission of phenomenology. The relationship between the presence of her models in her studio and the representation of these models on the canvas is not a relation of equivalence. In fact, within Tabaret's portraits, one does not equal one. So in her examination of these others closest to her, Claire explores two opposing vectors, one which looks inward and one which looks outward. This incongruity has to do with the dose of life that her models carry into each image. There is a transfer of energy or spilling over between the presence of her models and the final image that Claire delivers. Wait, what is the spilling effect? I want to understand that better. Oh, like their presence spills over into the final image. Yeah, and I think like the intimate knowledge of that them. she brings, yeah, to it. It makes it, it makes the image look more like what we've been talking about, more intimate, mm-hmm. more like she has knowledge of the people that she's painting and that kind of spills over right. even though she's not trying to represent the models. I I think that's what they mean, that but Claire, you can let yeah. us know. <laughs> that dress and her face in the uh, in the one with the fan are like the best moments. That fucking dress I is know. so beautiful. Her, I was looking at like this is the one where I became 
insanely obsessed just like her shoulder and how that like scarf is painted draped over her shoulder and neck and her face and like everything and then next to it the skirt on and like how even her shirt like the light blue Mm -hmm. quick gestures over the dark blue on the shirt and then the light blue all over the skirt like everything it's just the perfect lines like if i tried to do this it it wouldn't translate i could own just like an image of that without even the lady like i just love the lines on the skirt like i'll just look Mm -hmm. at that skirt all day and that bookcase and like those neon greens and oranges and yellows and stuff and like the dark orange on her upper Uh lip and her nose it's so good it's really really good i love that girl's blue face i can't get over that girl's blue face it's (laughs) so cool isn't it amazing yeah when i've been seeing her this other work coming out i'm like it's all so good so right now i'm following her on instagram and she was showing stories that she's on scaffolding Mm -hmm. painting figures on a grid ceiling there's like wood beams that i'm looking it up you know is it in her stories (gasps) what is this pink one oh my god Oh, okay. Seeing her smile makes me feel way better. <laughs> I haven't seen a single <laughs> smile in her paintings or oh in any pictures God. of her. Look at her here with her dog like a normal person smiling. Okay. Yo, she does smile. Not that women need to smile. No, no. I don't. It's not about women. It's just like feeling um, a kinship with someone, I feel, <laughs> you know? I'm just looking at pictures of her dog now. Does she speak Yo. English? Yeah, she speaks oh, English, but say. her native tongue is okay. French. And uh, in all of her interviews, maybe because they're mostly in Europe, oh, um, she always, all of her YouTube in- interviews are in French. And she has two dogs, and she lives in L.A. still. One's a husky, and one is a young, like, some kind of cattle dog. <laughs> it just turns into a podcast about dogs. <laughs> so what do you think about Claire? I'm glad I learned about her because I think it's really hard for me to be, have a general interest in work that I'm, I think I'm sensitive. Like, it's just like how I told you, I can't watch Big Little Lies right now for whatever reason. I really like Big Little Lies, but then I couldn't watch more than three episodes. So I get really weird about stuff like that. It's just like a, I feel like it's just like a protective thing that I do to myself. Like, I just don't want to think about the really bad things. Um, and clearly my work is like the opposite of all of that. So, but that part of life is a really important part of life (laughs) and it's things that need to be discussed and talked about. And I think it's good to feel uncomfortable. Um, but we don't do it unless we force ourselves a lot of times because why would anybody? And to recognize like, oh, this makes me uncomfortable and sit with it versus like, yeah, I'm out of here. I just don't like it. You need those times to get to a different level of your relationships or of your whatever, your career, your work, or just like... Our scars remind (laughs) us that the past is real. (laughs) Exactly. The scars remind us that the past is real. I mean, we started this shit off with her erasing her paintings and leaving the scars. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's a full circle. No, it was interesting learning about her and what she's thinking about because I think I have a like an inclination to judge people who do more figurative. I was so work. surprised that you picked a figurative painter for that yeah. reason. 
Yeah. I'm, I, well, there's so many artists that make work that look like mine that I want to do, but I'm like, I can't do that yeah. every week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I love her, the look of her paintings. And I think that's what drew me in initially. Like it's her fabric and it's her details. It's not the content of mm -hmm. her work. Um, even though I love how she does faces and everything, but it's how it's done, not what it is. So I went into it a little hesitant of like, what's she going to say about all of this mm. work? And it blew my mind how much she actually takes all of these things into account and really thinks, I don't know why that should be surprising to me, but it was We just... get wrapped up in the person themselves a lot of times. Yeah. Right. She really has a crazy dedication and like an honesty in her work. Wait, is she our age? She was born in 81. Oh, okay. But still, probably one of the youngest artists that we've covered, right? But yeah, on the younger side for sure. I don't know if Diego is younger. Oh, yeah, but Diego. Claire's, I think, second youngest cool. and killing it. She's doing awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. So I hope everyone here enjoyed learning about Claire before the new year. Yeah. And Claire, I'm sorry I didn't like your sculptures very much. Make them better. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you better keep that in. Otherwise, it's not fair. <laughs> the one time Lindsay says something without thinking about it. Just make them better. It's make not that they're better. not well made. They're just terrifying. That's all. <laughs> Make friendly sculptures. <laughs> don't make friendly sculptures. So, I don't want you to change your work. I just don't want to be around it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're doing a great job and you're doing what you need to be doing, clearly. But I just feel icky. If she gifted those to you. All of them? Would you put them? <laughs> just, like, my whole studio you. is just filled <laughs> with creepy children's statues. Oh, my. Bust. If she gifted you a bust. Would you present it in your house? My house is like a bright, colorful space where I feel happy. What if it was the bunny one? Like it again. Be like, I love the podcast. It was so good. I'm so happy. Here, each one she of you. She wouldn't because gets she would. A bust. Maybe she would do that on purpose just to piss me off. Here, here <laughs> is a statue of a bunny child. Wait, I need to look at it again. I feel like I just think of my son with like a sickly green face forced into a costume Aww. with a down, like literally some of them, their, their smile or their lips are like down, like sad. I'd see it in the middle of the night and be like, cover that with a blanket, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. I feel so bad. So if anyone you... said anything terrible about my, if they were just straight up like, I don't like those, I would, my heart would start hurting. So I feel terrible saying it. They're beautifully done. She clearly has a skill, like the way they're painted, the way they're made. Like mm -hmm. it's just the subject like matter that I don't want to be in, a, in the same room with for a very long time. Well, thank you guys for listening. And I'm so proud of us. I, on my goals for 2019, I only put 10 middle row episodes. And I'm really nice. proud of us. We did 12. And it's not that much more than 10, but we, we did it. We <laughs> exceeded. And we had fun doing it. And I hope that I have more time or I'm and able to prioritize more to do this because it's really been fun. And I, I don't know. I hope more people get into it. 
I hope you're all loving it. We're going to commit to two episodes a month unless it all just takes off like crazy, Mm -hmm. which would be amazing. So we seriously love doing this. We love researching and presenting and just spending time talking Mm -hmm. to each other on Google Hangout and seeing how you guys receive it. That's like the best part is hearing from people who are really excited about it and learning sure. and we'll so do some more guest if episodes. you are into it please um, just tell a friend about us who might like us and want to learn okay we hope you all had happy festivus yeah. and uh happy new, new year, year guys 2020 this. is gonna be pretty cool thank you thank and you. we hope you enjoyed claire Hopefully her name's Tabaree. <laughs> Love you, Claire. Thank you for being so serious and badass. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye.